Welcome to the Fantastic Magic Center. I'm Kent Cummins, and I'm going to share the real secrets of magic. Greetings, fiends. I hope your day is spooktacular, spectacular, terrorific. For even a man who is pure of heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. <laughs> okay, I'm recording this in the middle of October which means that I'm recording this in the middle of National Magic Month. And by the time you hear this, it will be National Magic Week, the week before Halloween. Unless, of course, you miss it when it first appears and are listening to this later, in which case this is historical information. And if you happen to listen to this on Halloween, well, it's National Magic Day. It just seemed to me that the month of October deserves its very own podcast episode. For one thing, Houdini, the most famous magician in history, died on October 31st, Halloween night. And I remember the Houdini movie starring Tony Curtis and Janet Lee. I believe it was 1954, Paramount Pictures. Uh, I was living in New Orleans, uh, at that time, and I saw it at the Sanger Theater in New Orleans, in downtown New Orleans. I remember they had an escape artist who was escaping from a straitjacket upside down from, I believe, the letter N of the old-fashioned Sanger movie sign. And that was back in the days when you just went into the movie theater whenever you wanted, and you watched until you got to where you had come in, and that's the expression, oh, this is where I came in, and then you left. You didn't worry about coming in at the beginning and staying till the end and then leaving. And that was also back in the days when, before the movie, they would have the newsreel and a cartoon. Sometimes the cartoon was the best part of the experience. And, of course, advertising for the concession stand. Because in movie theaters, they make most of their profits from the concession stand, not from the theater tickets. The people who produce and sell and distribute the movies are the ones that actually make the money from the movies. And I know all that because I worked for the Gordon Theater when I was in college, LSU, 1961 through 1965. And I've done other work for other theaters, promotional work using magic, since that time. But I digress. I was talking about the Houdini movie, and by the way, if you come to the Fantastic Magic Center in Georgetown, Texas, one of my favorite Houdini pieces, of course I've got a lot of Houdini stuff here, but one of my favorite Houdini pieces is the blue and white poster that Paramount Pictures distributed to magic stores to promote the Houdini movie. And apparently a lot of the magic stores didn't save them. There aren't that many still left in people's collections anymore although I bought one of the last ones probably for 5 or $10 because I was a kid back then. I didn't have a lot of money. I've seen them advertised for over $1,000, and so I'm glad that I do have one. Why am I talking about the Houdini movie? 
Well, it's always a fun thing to talk about, but the Houdini movie showed Houdini dying because of a problem with the Chinese water torture cell. And that simply is not historically accurate. Houdini performed the Chinese water torture cell multiple times, never had any problem that I'm aware of with it. And I can remember thinking, hey, Dunninger is listed as a, an advisor to this movie, and Dunninger and Houdini were personal friends. Why would he let this sort of thing go through when it's not accurate at all? And I'm sure now, as an older gentleman, that I understand the answer, which is the producers of the movie decided that they had to make it look more exciting than dying of appendicitis. Yes, Houdini died of appendicitis on October 31st, 1926. That was back in the days before they had the kinds of medicines that can quickly cure infection and those kinds of things. He died at age 52. The number of cards in a deck of cards, the number of weeks in a year. And he was president of the Society of American Magicians for many years. And the Society of American Magicians is one of the most prestigious magic organizations in the world, and it is an international organization, even though it's the Society of American Magicians. Uh, they have chapters all over the world. Homage is paid to Houdini, who was president up until his death. And so it was the Society of American Magicians who lobbied to try and get a Houdini postage stamp, which finally happened. They also wanted to name October as National Magic Month, and that has happened. And October could be National Magic Month even if it wasn't for Houdini, because the very fact of Halloween on the last day means it's a spooky time. I remember when I was at my busiest making my living as a magician, Halloween for me was like Christmas for a toy store. I mean, I might have six or seven shows in one day, and dozens of shows in the month because everybody seemed to want a magic show during October, during Halloween. And as a matter of fact, one of my most successful promotions, Westgate Wizardry, happened because of Halloween. It started with my partner, John Shakespeare, who, by the way, was my partner in the Horror Hops. That started as the Halloween Horror Hop, and I won't tell you much about that now because I have an entire episode on that. By all means, go back and listen to that. And when you do, listen to the episode about ghost shows because that's pretty appropriate to the month of October. And then you might listen to The Zombie Apocalypse or My Love Affair with the Guillotine. Yes, I love October. Sorry, I digress again. John had opened up a sandwich shop location I believe I've told you about sandwich shops in another episode, but it's appropriate to talk about it in Halloween because it's Sam Witch, a cartoon witch named Sam. Anyway, he had opened up a shop at Westgate Mall, which was a small regional shopping mall near his home, the duplex that he owned, that he lived in, and that eventually my wife and I lived in with our kids. But, oh my gosh, I digress again. The point I was trying to make is that they had great sales projections, and he was very excited about opening the sandwich shop, but the sales projections didn't materialize, and so therefore the shop was losing, I think, over $1,000 a month, which for us back then, we're talking about 1976, 
was an awful lot of money. I was at the quartermaster school at Fort Lee, Virginia, teaching in the club management course, and I had just made major, and I was about to get a new assignment in Washington, D.C. Everything was going well, and I got this call from John saying, if you want to help run the sandwich shops when you get out of the Army, you need to get out of the Army now. The Vietnam War was about over, so when I put in my request to get out, it was approved, and Margot and I came back to Austin in 1976. She actually took the kids back in the summer, and I got back in the early fall, as I recall. Indeed, the Westgate Mall sandwich shop was losing money, and I quickly thought, what can we do? How about if we have a Halloween promotion? Now, Halloween is one of the biggest times in Austin, and in fact has become a more popular holiday all over the country and perhaps all over the world. But back then in 1976, it wasn't as big a deal. The other merchants in the mall said, huh, a Halloween promotion? That's not a typical sales time. And I said, well, let's make it a typical sales time. And I did my best sales job. Almost all of the merchants wound up participating in an ad for magic shows at the mall. And we called myself the Wizard of Westgate. And we called it Westgate Wizardry. And it was such a success that it continued for 20 years until the shopping mall eventually closed and the shopping center was redeveloped. So you're beginning to understand why I like October. It's the time of Westgate Wizardry, which was one of my best promotions during the time I was earning a living as a magician. As a matter of fact, because I had a store in the mall, I wasn't allowed to get paid specifically but I went ahead and volunteered to be on the promotions committee, and I wound up becoming the chair of the promotions committee for the mall. We developed a lot more promotions than just Westgate Wizardry, but because I couldn't get paid, nevertheless, I was able to get Westgate Mall to pay for my new Delbin French guillotine, and another year to pay for the sawing in half illusion, and so some of my best spookiest illusions were actually paid for by Westgate Mall because of Westgate Wizardry. October is also the perfect time for spooky movies. That little poem about being a werewolf came from one of the earliest Lon Chaney werewolf movies back, it was probably a black and white movie, uh, one of the ones I saw when I was a child. The most recent spooky movie Margot and our friend Warren and I watched last night, it was called Get Out and it's a psychological thriller. For you magicians in the audience, uh, I think <laughs> during one of the spookiest, scariest times, Chris, the I guess you'd call him the protagonist, uh, the, the hero of the story in some sense, he had been captured, and he was in this room, and he was strapped to a chair, and he couldn't get out, and they were playing a spooky song called Run, Rabbit, Run. And I had not heard that song before, but I particularly noticed it because there's a magic trick called Run, Rabbit, Run. And I thought, huh, I wonder what that's all about. And so I did a Google search on Run, Rabbit, Run and discovered that it's a song that was written in 1939. And so I listened to it and you see, yep, that's the song that they played during this really creepy part of the movie. And then I thought, well, I wonder when the magic trick was invented. And guess what? 
It was invented in 1939. So although I couldn't find the specific connection, I am almost certain that first the song came out and was popular, and then a magician decided to invent a trick that he would call Run Rabbit Run that had the same idea as the song. As a matter of fact, this particular trick, Run Rabbit Run, was based on the principle of a very classic magician's trick called the die box. That's D-I-E, die as in one of a pair of dice. In the die box trick, you have a giant die and it slides from one side to another and you play with the audience and tell them that it's disappeared, but they can hear it slide to the other side. And then eventually the denouement, the grand finale of the trick, you show that it really has disappeared and has reappeared somewhere else, perhaps in your top hat. And Run Rabbit Run was a similar idea where the rabbit was running from one place to another. Magicians call it a sucker trick. I don't particularly like the the name or the concept, but the idea is that you try and make the audience think that you're fooling them unnecessarily or unfairly, and they can tell how you're fooling them. And then, of course, the end of the trick, it turns out you really did fool them. And I think the rabbit winds up, you know, pinned to your back or something, or on a spectator's back or something like that. And since 1939, there have been many, many versions of this particular trick, which started, as far as I know, with the die box and then became particularly popular as a magic trick called Run Rabbit Run. If you study the places that are selling Run Rabbit Run, because it's still available today, they will say that it's one of the classic, most popular magician's children's tricks. And that whole discussion came from the fact that I saw a horror movie last night called Get Out. And in general, I'm not a particular fan of the recent, by which I mean the last 50 years, uh, (laughs) horror movies. If it doesn't have Bela Lugosi or Lon Chaney or Boris Karloff in it, uh, I'm not sure it's one of my favorite movies. Although, to be fair, I did watch all of the William Castle movies. In fact, my friend John Shakespeare managed to obtain one of the buzzing devices that was placed into the theater uh, during The Tingler, a spooky William Castle horror movie. And probably the worst Uh, William Castle movie was, uh, I think it was called The House on Haunted Hill. There was this big cloth closet thing hanging at the side of the stage, and a skeleton on a runner came (laughs) rolling down the clothesline type thing into the audience. It wasn't scary at all. It was just silly, but William Castle movies were famous for his gimmicks. And if you love horror movies and you're in the Austin, Texas area, then perhaps you're aware of Saul Ravencraft's Vault of Horror, which he has been doing for many years now. And currently, he has two screenings, one of them at a sports bar in Austin and the other one at Doc's Drive-In Movie Theater, the one that's coming up next and will already have filmed by the time you listen to this is uh, Elvira's Twin Peaks and never mind where that name came. And actually, when I was in high school, John and our friend Rhett McMahon and myself uh, wrote and were trying to think if we could uh, film our own little horror movie, like something called like Ali Oop the Abominable Caveman Monster or something, based on films such as Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, which I believe is my favorite bad film. 
attack of the killer tomatoes. Ah, different strokes for different folks. We had our Magic Club meeting just last week, I guess. It was uh, the International Brotherhood of Magicians, Austin Ring 60, and it had a Halloween theme. I did the Teach a Trick segment with a little paddle trick that has three jack-o'-lanterns on it on each side, so six jack-o'-lanterns total, and I make three of those plop off the paddle and fall to the floor and change into a witch. (sighs) Cute little paddle trick. If you're interested in that particular trick for any reason at all, send me an email, kent at magichotline.com, and just tell me you heard it on the podcast and more about that Halloween paddle trick. And then my performance, I had people take a card, any card from an oversized deck of Halloween cards. Well, they weren't Halloween cards, they were monster cards patterned, I guess, after Famous Monsters of Filmland, one of my favorite magazines when I was a teenager. They had pictures of Dracula and the Wolfman and Phantom of the Opera and all these different classic horror monsters. I had someone from the audience select a card, and it happened to be Frankenstein, although, of course, I had no way of knowing which of the monsters he would take. And then I have a little miniature coffin. When I opened it up, A ghost popped out, and a snake jumped out, and the ghost had a picture of Frankenstein's bride, the bride of Frankenstein, and so proving that uh, we knew the selected card. Halloween magic. It's a lot of fun. I hope you have fun this Halloween. If you're listening to this, say, like in April, well, there'll be another Halloween later in the year. So, go to bed. Pleasant dreams if you dare. (laughs) I'm Kent Cummins. Join us next time for more tales from the Fantastic Magic Center. And if you'd like even more information, well, join us on our website, fantasticmagiccenter.com. Kent cannot preserve the secret legacy of magic without your support. Start today by going to fantasticmagiccenter.com and clicking the red Join Our Patreon button.